Act 3, Scene 5. As the sun rises on the battlefield where corpses lay, the voice of Mephistopheles addresses them. From this grisly imagery, our camera dives into the bright orb of the sun, our visualization stunned. And as we draw back from that light, we see we draw from the gleam of chandeliers to see the banquet hall again of Emperor Charles as Mephistopheles on the stage front completes his speech. Behind him, a scene of frozen poses in the revelry for the victory that they celebrate. The Pope is here, and even the estranged Charles. Faustus is seated next to one we learn is his sister, and beside her, the renowned husband, victor of the Battle of the Damned, as it is famously called. To a benighted world, Mephistopheles speaks. Death is no illusion, nor is pain, nor heartbreak. It is the consequence of what they seek, those dead upon this field of action we see. How cynical and grim Faustus' cold philosophy. All men, like all live creatures, want to be. To breathe, it is no illusion of identity. This corpse went wanting to eat. See how its dry mouth twists open, like he might beg, give me more. This one thirsting? This one's mouth is filled with names of child and wife, something for death he'd not forget. How meaningless to Faustus is humanity. To abstractions he reduces them. It's truth, not life, that motivates men, he thinks. The stage now gradually lights up, and in slow thaw, the scene begins to animate the frozen poses of the Pope, the Emperor, and the court. A din of voices suddenly explodes as if a door had opened and loudly talkings heard. Some woman's laughter, braying and unkind, makes us look, embarrasses the husband sitting next to her. It is Faustus Caroline.
Charles is broken, dispirited, forlorn. He blames himself for what has come. His words are wooden. He plays his role in rote. Foe, emperor. To recompense, to end the war. But nothing's good from what's been done. It's all the same as it was before. As the Bible says, the rich ruleth or the poor. Cardinals, fat merchants, burly knights of the realm, joined business to the banquet to draft edicts and reforms, to set the rights of man to writ, in the cause of a moral society to preempt anarchy and protect property. So coerced to this social contract, a free people claiming sovereignty, Charles signed these codes in duress, establishing the sort of democracy which is today our own success. The liberal state, a free plutocracy. Faustus felt much sympathy for him. Might there not be one thing yet that might be done? But he holds this to himself and nods as Caroline complained about the price of rouge and wine and the lack of better perfumes. While at his left is Archibald, bellowing boasts how he'd tortured the enemies of God he'd captured, and how, when faced with painful deaths, they all had willingly confessed, The Lord's my God and Savior. Faustus is weary. Mephistopheles bored. The companion urged the dismal doctor to depart. Come out to town. Come out. There's still some rape and pillage about. Faustus' sickened soul in gloomy thought. He nodded that he would join him out where all the debauchery and celebration went on. Mephistopheles left to see what wicked mischief he could unfold. But to tell the truth, mankind had no need for supernatural help to make things worse. Faustus, glowering, disgusted, made his parting. He kissed his sister's cosmetic cheek. She did not notice it. Was stooping, fence to depart when stopping, seeing Archibald leaning out the window, cheering on some ribald fellow victors, who'd found the plaintive wives of prisoners and were molesting them, publicly undressing them, enforcing them naked to perform some craven acts of sexual indecency. Faustus saw this scene, abhorring it, and put a curse on Archie's head to give him staghorns three feet long, so huge that when he tried to bring his horny headdress back in sight again, he caught it in the window frame. He was trapped, entangled with the prongs, for several hours, and it would be days, had not his desperate servants sawed them off, while Caroline, like a donkey, brayed, laughing loudly at her husband's shame. A banker of Württemberg, whom Faustus knew, had seen the inflection of Faustus' own hand, the gesture made, and he was transformed, and told Archibald how it had happened. 
this malice that his jealous brother schemed. It is that atheist sorcerer and his fiend. Faustus met Mephisto in the street, where distressed women were on stage before the bonfire, trussed and postured to be raped. Men poised their turgid pricks to poke and put, while others toasted sausages dangling on sticks, drank wine or beer, and sang loud, boisterously. M shook his head in wonderment. They make love so violently. This is not love, said Faustus. And at a gesture tossed, the women unfettered fled. Mephistopheles, amused, shook his head and gestured inversely, and in a trice reversed, a jumping backwards in time, all were bounded to the stage. Faustus did not see, but walked away. Oppressed by what he witnessed, corpses, victims in the carnage, dead mother held, dead child curled. They went through ruined streets, where fire and bombs had gutted buildings and left shredded skeletons, flames clawed on flesh of what remained, and shadows gnawed the bones beneath. They saw much dead, some dying still, lying with none attending them, while soldiers and civilians broke down doors and windows to abandon homes and shops and stole whatever they might take. M. sighed. I feel ennui will be the disease of our modern society, so banal is evil. Everyone's a criminal in this necessity. A thief, a liar, adulterer, and a killer. If not indeed, then by moral complicity, by silent witness or vicarious behavior, benefiting by the crimes of the other. Faustus, despondent, listened, responded. I cannot leave this as it is. I must see. He would not leave, would not fly to Württemberg, but made this his lesson to see all this destruction, to witness what may be his responsibility, this inhumanity. While Mephistopheles took up flight with shrug, said goodbye, and was home before he heard another utterance. Then Faustus saw the sight, the battlefield of the damned, of which our choral witness sang, a hundred thousand sadly slain. Archibald, pursued on horseback, ready to kill, angered by humiliation he had received from would-be brother Faustus, atheist and necromancer. A fleet of cavalry accompanied him, and it would not be long before 
they overtook the doctor at the river's ford, and spied him wading onto the other shore. They urged their horses, but they balked before the murk of its dark and doubtful depths. The river in twilight, lusterless and black. Faustus saw them and did not flee, but hoisted himself into a tree and peeked out from its leafy cover. While hemming at the water's edge, the horses neighing, rearing, balked again, until, when savagely spurred, they galloped in. He waved his hand, and all horses disappeared, changed magically to bales of straw, unbundled. They spread out and flowed away, and their riders, hurtled, loosed, fell pell-mell, splashed at full speed. Faustus then was nowhere to be found, though merely perched up in a tree. The soldiers and Archibald, astounded and afraid, scurried meekly without a sound, seeing glinting eyes and faces in the leaves. His witchcraft would have lasting consequence, although the Pope would afterwards convince a trembling Archibald cowering in remembrance that it was another one who'd caused the offense, probably that weirdly white one, he who had that strangely masked face, he whom the vicar had seen at banquet, and once before the vicar was certain. But now this witchcraft, sinister sorcery, the recent war, bad weather, unruly peasantry, demanded full purgation. An inquisition must crusade to prosecute the malefaction. Heaven must persuade the soiled souls to salvage, or else we'll see them dead.'